Hello and welcome to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and the inimitable Nick Brodbapis. How are you doing on this fine evening, Nick? Uh, Joe, I'm really cold because we're doing a cold open. We we are quite literally not. I, I the audience. Joe, I, I'm shivering here. Got to get my mitten. It's snowing where you are. Nice. It, nice it is snowing where I am. Exactly. It's, um, we're going to get six to twelve inches tonight. It's going to be some some snow people appearing in the ground. Um, they're going to grow some carrots. And the, the trivia people will, will start singing the Christmas songs. Uh, and and our listeners will know that it's, it's been a cold, cold open. And they'll, they'll, be, they'll be shocked by the narrative tactic we used on them. This is, this is insufferable. <laughs> Would, Joe, can I be the insufferable Nicholas Protopopis today? I, I think you can be. <laughs> All right. Did you did you use a word earlier? An adjective? I said inimitable. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. Well, I should introduce you sometime. Oh, you 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 should. Oh, that would be a cold. Would that be a cold open? Since I don't usually do it. Well, no, because it would just it would segue into our our regular show. Oh. It would just be a, a disruption of the formula. No, no, no. It would be a cold open. Because imagine, imagine like. What's a show? <laughs> um, um, Parks and Rec. Yeah, imagine Parks and Rec, but instead of the song that plays, it's another person performing the song. That would be a cold open, right? I mean, Parks and Rec has actual cold opens. It would be a double cold open. <laughs> okay. Be cold. No, next time, okay. Next time, we're gonna go, and I'm gonna introduce you, and I'm gonna say the. Uh, I'm gonna say. And here comes Joe. Oh wait, this doesn't work at all. What's an adjective for having frosted tips? The, the frosted tip. I, I I genuinely. You can't see the face I'm making right now, but it is <laughs> one of shock. <laughs> what about the frosted tip, Joe Bortner? Uh, and that'll be our cold open because one, they'll be shocked that I'm doing the intro, and secondly, they'll be shocked that you have frosted tips now. I th- I think that would overwhelm them. <laughs> You're right. We should really take it easy on them. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the word for the tip, Joe Bordner, and nor should they be. Yeah. No. Yeah. We can just go back to talking about the weather in the most mundane way possible. <laughs> Actually, we can't because it's cold now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we're we're in a real fuss. We are. Okay. Um, Joe, how's your um, how's your hair doing lately? My hair? Your hair, your face hair, your um, your hair hair. Uh, my face hair is a, like, you know, a decent stubble length. I, I like it at that level. My, my, my actual hair is, uh, you know, I think it's doing pretty well. It's, um, it's relatively short, which is how I've, I've come to like it. Yeah, you, you're How's watering yours? it regularly? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Making sure, not, not too much water. You know, that can really kill, kill it. Yeah. I've been getting um dew on my beard in the mornings, so I think I'm I think I'm doing well. I think that means something right, good. Yeah, that's the classic sign that you're you're doing well. Yeah, in terms of beard growth. That's yeah. Okay. Well, good. I I mean I I read a book on uh uh, just you know beard beard caretaking at mm-hmm. one point, and they just they you know it, it was these guides to to uh, a happy healthy beard, and uh, 
Yeah, one of the most important things was just like you you, you had to to had look out for the the dew dew on your beard. No, that's yeah. really important because that's that's when the um the ecosystem can really start flourishing. That's when you can get small creatures actually thriving in um in your beard because they have water now from your yeah. You need beard. to you need to. <laughs> have you been using like the the special beard wash that like carries with it like nutrients for the the animals? No, Joe, I'm all natural. No, no fertilizer on this beard. So you got to start small. I got some small guys now. They get they get the dew in the morning. The, the early the early mites get the dew, and mm-hmm. um, from there, you know, bigger mites will eat smaller mites, and that's how you really get things going. Well, I think that, I think that's a philosophy to live your life by. Nick, uh, you have a thing for me. I hear. Joe, I have a thing for you, but I'm not sure if you're gonna like it. I'm not, I'm really not sure what your reaction is gonna be. So I'm gonna need you to like speak your reaction, like you know when your computer you press the wrong button and it starts telling you exactly what you're doing. Okay, I'm I'm ready. All right, my thing this week is is Strangers in Paradise. Uh, my my reaction is positive. Oh, okay, for some reason I thought you had a weird weird thoughts on Strangers in Paradise. I read the original. I mean, my 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 only thing about Strangers in Paradise is having never read it. It looks kind of like it might be porn, but you know, it's I don't porn. know that. <laughs> Basically, Strangers in Paradise is the biggest like like fully the most uh love triangle thing I've ever read. It's just a love right. triangle. Like that's its main deal. With like a shitty crime subplot also. <laughs> You know, it's like a love triangle, and then at the end, the last scene before the issue ends is like, you know, a woman on the phone, and she's like, oh, God, kill everyone who works under me immediately. You know what I'm talking about? Wait, so how much of Strangers in Paradise have you read? Because there's quite a bit of it. Yeah, I read the... I, 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 look, I'm not 100% sure on the reading order, but I read the 1994 run before it reboots in 1996, I think. So it was like 13 issues. Okay. So not that much. And that's when that period is, so I just took a break. Um, I mean, I just wanted to talk about it because I have never heard anyone talk about it, but it's a pretty good comic. It's kind of the best comic I think I've it's, ever. I think it's pretty popular for what it is. Yeah, but you're my comic book talking guy, and I've never... Sure. I've just never <laughs> met anyone who's read it and also likes it that I know. Right. Um, but it's... It's just, it's very much just a love triangle. It's, you know, two girls who are best friends and live together. And uh, one of them is mysterious and blonde and is the main character. She's very dramatic. And the other one is concerned. And the, all, all of the sexualities of all the characters are just, just wide open. Um, I, I think they all just like everyone possible they have to make the triangle complete. And then there's this third guy and he's a guy and he's like, oh man, I feel left out. Somehow he, he works it out for himself. Anyways, um, no, as a comic, the art's really nice. The story does go. It is a shitty, it sort of feels like watching like, you know, basic cable TV um, drama shows when you get to the crime stuff. But, um, you know, I don't really, I don't mind it. Like it's entertaining enough. Um, and it, like, I just ate all these up. Like I read them really fast. And I think, you know, Joe, there's, there's like a monster inside all of us who really, really likes love triangles. Would you agree with that? Hmm. Like, I, th- I think I might. I, I think I, I find well. myself. Because that's true. That's true. Like they don't. I've never like. I've never had a love triangle story and been like, "Wow, that was really satisfying at the end." But like, there's a little monster inside of me that really likes the sort of mid part. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I like that this comic sort of just embraces that and is really dramatic in a pretty much ridiculous way. But I don't know, I think the fact that it's a comic makes it a little more different, a little more interesting, um, and easy to sort of flip through really fast. Like if there's something that's like way too mushy, then you just skip it, you know, like, it, I don't know. Like you can I am, lock- I'm very pro-mush. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just it's a little ridiculous sometimes because it's like what she likes him like how like it doesn't but okay it's cool like it's well done i don't know i don't know how to say this but like it's well put together and it's really edible like it's it's just it might be the monster inside of me controlling me but it's it's just very very entertaining uh and a really good nice yeah i think the layouts are you know pretty cool because it's that sort of story where it's you know character focused like interpersonal drama so it never really gets stuck if that makes sense like nothing's really ever confusing and so in that way there's a lot of like freedom and like just easy i don't want to say easy going but like all the pages are arranged really nicely i like it um if that makes sense if that makes any sense yeah yeah no that makes sense did you know they're making a a tv adaptation of this uh i think i vaguely knew that when i wikipedia it but i mean this this happened they announced this in 2017 and nothing has happened since. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this would fit pretty perfectly just right, right in there in the CW, just, just wedge it right in. Um, mm-hmm. And it would work very, very well there. That's what I have to say, but I enjoy it. And it's my, my little thing I enjoyed this week. So uh, how about you? You got a thing for me, Mr. Joseph? I do, I do. Um, so, as you know, I've been oh, trying to see... Tipped, Joseph? Sorry, what? Sorry, nothing. <laughs> oh. that was nothing. Yeah. So, as you know, I've been trying to see the movie Jojo Rabbit for quite some time now. It's been out for weeks in select cinemas, but nowhere near me. And it finally opened this weekend at the, uh, at the theater downtown, uh, and I went to see it. And it is a absolutely delightful movie uh, that also happens to feature Hitler. Uh, but in an extremely critical light. As <laughs> opposed to not extremely critical. I saw the trailer and I said, what's what's going on? It's a little Nazi boy. Uh, what is this movie? So the the um, the bit of Jojo Rabbit that uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, what is given away in the trailers, which is that, um, you know, there is this little boy Jojo uh, who is growing up at the the tail end of of uh, you know the the Nazi uh, leadership being in power? Uh, so it's like you know uh, in 1945, um, and he's you know just very excited about Nazism uh, in that he is a little boy looking for a place to belong in the world, and he finds that to be an attractive ideology, uh, which I think is you know, a, a, a strong, uh, comparison to be made to how a lot of fascist movements operate. Uh, I think, you know, if, if you look at the world today, uh, a lot of people who are part of that sort of, sort of thing are like, you know, lonely young, uh, men often. And I, I don't say that to like create sympathy for them, just like, you know, that's a fact, uh, you know, the, the, those conservative groups skew younger, uh, and I think that's a interesting observation this movie makes. Uh, but anyways, so what happens is that uh, he looks up to Hitler a lot. 
uh, and uh, what he finds out is that uh, his mother is sheltering a Jewish girl in their house uh, in the walls. Um, and, you know, there, there's this conflict between the two of them as he learns to view her as a person, uh, which is the best way of putting that. And also as he realizes that his uh, ideology is completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm picking up what you're putting what, down, but also, hmm? um, is he in love with her? Uh, there, there are elements of that, but she is uh, much older than him, as in she is like a, a late teenager and he is like 13. Oh, man. That's that's nice and that's that's nice and dramatic. I like it. Is there is it a third party? Is there any third party that maybe he's also in love with, and maybe she, maybe his mom, maybe maybe she's in love with his mom, maybe maybe. <laughs> is that possible? Um, How about Hitler? Is Hitler in this? Maybe. <laughs> okay, he loves Hitler. That's actually there. You go. That's your triangle, ish. Oh boy. <laughs> now I'm satisfied. Yeah, I mean, I, I here's the thing about Jojo Rabbit is that it is under under like probably any other director, it would have been an absolute train wreck. But they're they're very careful uh, to portray things uh, carefully. Um, like there, there's never a moment where we're supposed to like we we are made to understand like Jojo's sympathy for Nazism uh, and like his partaking in it. But like we're not made to sympathize with it. Like, he is not justified in that at any point. Mm-hmm. Like, we understand it because he's, like, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, we, we were not made to think that it is in any way sympathetic. Is it supposed to be funny? Uh, yeah, the movie is very funny. But is it is it a joke that is, like, a lot of the jokes that it's because he's a Nazi or, or what? There are there are some of those jokes, but it's um that's backgrounded after the the first uh like you know maybe ten fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. Um. Who, um there's the also director? like some some. Sorry. Who's the director? Uh, it's Taika Waititi. So he did um Hunt for the Wilder People, and also oh, Thor Ragnarok. That. Uh, that movie. Will you still haven't me. seen that. I said that movie will haunt me till like all you all all of well many of our friends went to see that or saw that at the same <laughs> moment and I missed it and I just ever since then people go oh hunt for the wiggles are people not too often but sometimes and then I go oh man I should watch that and I haven't Ugh. Oh, it's a really good movie you'd like nah, it yeah I know that's what everyone always says yeah I mean I I think uh, you know Taika Waititi is talked about this in interviews but i think it's significant that like you know he he is a jewish director and he's tackling this material like i i think uh someone who were not probably would not be as successful with it okay just by like the nature of the thing <laughs> yeah, i mean if it's if you say it's you know careful then it's careful um yeah i i i would understand people having gripes with it but um you know i i found it to be really compelling and insightful and also like it made me think about uh my own relationship to judaism in a a different light slightly which uh was you know an interesting time i won't go into that here but okay um yeah i it sounds a little bit similar to this book i was 
listening to. Um, I didn't finish it, but it used to be popular. Or oh, how how the no? What is it? All the light we cannot see. I think. Yeah. And that has children's perspective, and one of them is becoming a Nazi, and one of them is not. Um, that sounds a little bit similar, but I think that book's more dramatic. Anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to. Yeah, I mean, I I should I should just say like this is a really really funny movie, and I, I think it's worth seeing, if only for that. Uh, but at the same time, it it offers what I think is some really valuable cultural commentary in like our our current moment. Yeah, that's maybe I'll. Is it in? I guess it's still in theaters. I don't think. Yeah. I'll find it, but maybe I'll watch it eventually. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely worth watch. Cool beans. So, would you like to move on to the main event? Let's let's talk about the search. Let's talk about it. Let's. So, uh, Nick, would you like to do an introduction for this? Sure thing. Uh, we're All right. Um, this week, Joe and I read the second Avatar comics trilogy, The Search, which tackles the big question sort of left at the end of the show which is sort of uh what happened to zuko's mom is something everyone has asked themselves at one point after having watched avatar um and i think that this comic is the most important comic for someone who has watched the show to read i think all the other comics fine take them or leave them like if you don't want to read the comics fine they're great but fine but this one you should definitely definitely read because it's it just answers that big question and it does it in a pretty much perfect way so uh yeah Joe, what do you think of it? Uh, I was really satisfied with it. I, I was, you know, a, a little obviously intrigued uh, by the opening, but I, w- I found myself a little underwhelmed. But by the by the final uh, chapter of it, I, I was really engaged, and I thought like, just you know, it, it, the characters were making really interesting choices and decisions, uh, and like you know, things that genuinely surprised me, uh, which is kind of rare for like an Avatar book. Yeah, um, this book, like the last, like the promise last week, um, is big, uh, and I think that's important to note because it's a small little comic, but it's just as big as the show, and I think that has to do, uh, you know, that comes up a couple times, and I'll mention them. Um, but this book uh, opens, and it's it's just a flashback um, to Zuko's mom, who is Ursa, before uh, her time in the Fire Nation, and this um, sort of. I'm, I mean, it's split up throughout, so the sort of the beginning, throughout the book, um, Ursa's story is, is cut up with the the current timeline, which is Zuko and the gang, well, Aang and the gang, mm. um, looking for Zuko's mom, you know, on Appa, um, with the help of Azula, um, but it's also, there's, you know, scene by scene of his mom's story, and, you know, both go chronologically, so by the end of it, you have a whole picture of what happened, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but it opens, and it's how Zuko's mom was sort of married off into the royal family. And I think this is a good insight because it shows um, the connection where she's a descendant of Roku. And it just yeah it puts that together pretty nicely. So there's a reason for her being married off, and she loses her great boyfriend, and that's how it opens. Mm-hmm. And then we we sort of head into the present day where uh, Zuko is is kind of restless and he he's 
you know, searching to, to we, we get into this bit where he is searching to find his mother. Uh, and by the end of the, the first chapter, uh, you know, the gang has assembled and Zuko has like this revelation where he thinks that he is not the son of uh, Fire Lord Ozai. Like he, he, you know, Azula is carrying a note that uh, was written under the pretense of being to of being by Ursa to her old boyfriend. Uh, and it's saying that, you know, Zuko is our son and not Ozai's. Yeah, and that's one of those things uh, which, where like, you, you end that chapter and you're like, whoa, that's big, right? That just feels as big yeah. as the show. Um, and it's and that is that is eventually kind of undone because it turns out that this was a lie, that she was like doing it to get a reaction out of Ozai. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, you know, that's a really big move to make mm-hmm. in a spinoff comic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's why it just feels like the right story. Um, I like the way that the flashbacks are cut up with the modern day. I think it's probably the best thing about this comic because it it characterizes Ursa perfectly. Like it, it just makes her like an actual character, which oh yeah could easily not have happened. And then the sort of search for her doesn't feel nearly as important to the audience as it does to the characters, if that makes sense. And so I- yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. And there are like moments of like real emotional like like depth and hurt that we go through with her in those flashbacks, which like you know, had they been isolated incidents, like, would not have had the same effect. Yeah, there's a, a big sort of idea that goes through this book about her as a character, is that she left her children behind, in a way. And the first thing this book does before that is that it it connects some of the flashbacks we have seen in the show, and sort of creates a full picture, so we know now why she had to leave, and how that connects to, you know, Azula overhearing that Ozai was going to kill him, um, and I like that it just feels very purposeful. It feels like connecting the dots that the show left. Um, and actually, Joe, I have to clear the air because I've been thinking about this for so long. I lied to you last sure. week. I lied to you big time. I told you that <laughs> that character was from the show, that they mentioned him in the show. They just mentioned him in the scene. I noticed this. Huh? Man. I noticed I got, this. I got so confused. Because that, I don't know, I guess that's how it is. Like a lot of these scenes feel like they were in the show, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's good. Anyways, um, uh, my favorite thing about Ursa's sort of arc in this is that, like, she sort of makes a big mistake. Like, well, not really, but, like, you can really feel, like, how much it hurts her to leave her children behind. And, like, her choice to do that, sort of, is, like, she doesn't, she, like, she thinks that's a mistake. Like, she feels bad about that. And, like... I don't know. There's there's a couple scenes here that I just like that turmoil is like ah like that's a lot that's pretty heavy you know yeah and it feels very real and it feels it just feels really it feels good not good like it, I just you know I like those scenes a lot those are the most yeah I mean I I remember last week one of my main reactions was just like wow I I can't believe they are tackling like the topic of colonialism in in like so directly yeah in like Avatar material yeah. Uh, you know, even though it's certainly like relevant to that setting in that world. Um, but at the same time, like I, I'm, I'm also just like blown away by like the difficulty of the choice that Ursa ends up making Yeah, and like the, the, the like levels of like harshness that introduces to her character. Yeah. Like I, 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 but you totally get it. Yeah. And even before this, like the, like the whole, her whole marriage is just like 
pretty much tackling like set you know arranged marriages and like also you know sort of separately within the world like just how ruth ruthless ozai is as a person and like i don't know i think it just just does a really good job with that and like the way that she loves her kids but like is stuck and like is trapped by this like terrible man i don't know it just feels very real feels very yeah and even throughout all that she never loses like her her like presence in the narrative like so many times when you have characters like that like they 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 lose something and she's like she's always there like you know even though she can't like actively you know make uh big choices when she's with ozai she's still like a character (laughs) which sounds like a small thing but like in in stuff like this it's like often not the case yeah no yeah i I see what you're saying like she's not just abused she's a person yeah yeah um anyways i thought all of that was really really cool um and that's sort of just the flashback stuff um so we won't get into like the big twist stuff but um that's the main the rest of it but i liked ursa's explanation of her leaving and sort of the 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 place that left her um after she did it and um i liked i'm not going to get too much into it but i i as an avatar fan um a, a big thing for me in this comic is sort of the 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 line of you know her telling zuko don't forget who you are who's is like a thing throughout the show and in the flashbacks like this just like puts it all together when he does finally like i guess reveal himself to her like Mm-hmm. it just it i don't know it comes together really really nicely for me another of my favorite yeah moments. Um, a lot of the the final emotional stuff in the climax just like really hits home yeah like very so well the, the other thing going on in this book is that um azula is let out of her mental institution because basically because she has the only like lead on um where where their mom is um which is a little bit silly, but she has to tag along with them throughout the story. Um, and so there's this theme of siblings throughout the book. Um, and it's right. sort of Zuko dealing with his relationship with Azula while, you know, he looks at Sokka and Katara, who are, you know, they love each other. Um, and also another pair of siblings in this book. But it's interesting to me yeah. because th- this book does a lot of like, oh, well, they're siblings, so they should try to get along. But like, Azula's <laughs> crazy. Like, I'm not sure I agree with yeah to to a to a cartoonish degree in this like it was actually like a little too much for me yeah like like it 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 really reduces her <laughs> really I mean it made sense to me because she sort of broke down in the finale um yeah I I, I like I don't know I'm I'm I like that her craziness has to do with her mom and the way that left I also really really like that sort of the thing that ursa says to her in you know in a vision at the end of the show is that like oh, i love you azula like i don't think you're a monster i like that that carries out and like plays into her character here yeah that's really good yeah um, but at the same time like most of her most of her arc here is um she is convinced that um that zuko is like plotting with her mother against her uh because like azula's main desire is still like to to get the throne like she wants to be fire lord yeah um I, I see how that can seem a little cartoonish to you, um, but in the next couple series, is, there's an interesting turn her character takes, um, and the, okay. way, the way it resolves here seems a little bit like random. Seems like well, like she's trying to attack her, you know, but 
then when it comes down to like her actual confrontation, she runs away. And that's what happens. Um, but there is a little bit more going on, I think. So I think you should wait just a little for that, Joe. But mm-hmm. but it, it is, a, for me, the thing about her being that crazy is that like Zuko keeps being like, I'll just give her another chance. Like, I'll just try to get along with her. But she's crazy. She's crazy and she needs to go down. Like, <laughs> like, she, like she just tries to kill people, innocent people. And Zuko's like, but she's my sister. I should try to love her. It's <laughs> um, that's that I'm not sure about. I guess the idea there is that you know they should try to help her become better. But still, the way they kind of go about it is like really. That's my pretty much my only problem with the book. Yeah, what do you think about? Um, there's a there's a spirit that shows up later in this, and it's got like a really interesting design. Yeah, it's a great design. Um, and it feels so big. It's such a big spirit that I'm, that's another yeah. thing that makes me feel this book is it, big. It reminds me visually a lot of the stuff in, um, in, uh, that, that Sana Takeda does in, in Monstrous, if you remember. Mm, a little bit. I, I was sort of Miyazaki for me. Um, maybe that's yeah, it's, it's, I think that they're both valid comparisons. It, it's, um, to me, it's it's a, a little reminiscent of like horror, but it's which so is cool, why right? The... Isn't it cool that we're just like taking oh, yeah. talk about how cool this design is? Like, oh, it's great. That's not something. I this was like one of the talking points I wanted to go it's in so cool. with. I wish we could describe it. Um, I guess yeah, um, it's like a big tree. That's not good. Um, I don't know. It's this. Um, I mean, it's this creature uh, that's like very very lanky. Uh, and it's it's seemingly made out of wood, and it it, it uh you know it, it comes out of the water, uh sort of out of a, a and spiral of like waves. It's got so many faces, and it's and it's it's. I think we should leave it at that. Yeah, okay. that was our best attempt. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this book is a little different from the promise because it's not like a big political smashdown with like. A, a, you know lots of plots going on it's sort of just the gang and then the flashbacks and i like that because it allows for more comedy and it feels more like a classic adventure of the avatar gang i thought the comedy in this book was pretty great um 10 out of 10 comedy thought it was hilarious at one point yeah it is it is materially i hesitate to say lighter but it, it kind of is than the promise just because it's dealing with like interpersonal dynamics instead of like big political conflict yeah which is, you know, just the type of story it is. But yeah, I like that that allowed for more comedy, and I think it's hilarious. I, I really. But it's also really cool because, like, it, it kind of asks uh, or it kind of acts for 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 Jin Yang uh, and your hero. Uh, like, since this is the second one they've done, like, it, it shows like, oh, we can do both kinds of Avatar stories. We can do like the big political stuff. We can do like the the interpersonal stuff. Yeah, uh, and we can like you know, pretty much do both of them excellently uh so like if we're talking about this in terms of like you know proving ground i i don't think that either of those creators really had anything to prove but at the same time like you know it's good to to get this out there uh yeah um this you know i I think it just handles the question really well i think we talked about a lot of it anything else you want to cover uh, I, I think I'm about done. Is there any like particular moment that you'd be interested in? Um, I don't know. This is sort of a little thing, but I like that Iroh is left in charge of the Fire Nation at the beginning. Um, I think that's yeah. 
and I, I, I like the way that he doesn't sort of, he doesn't really want it. He just, I mean, it, it seems sort of random. They just sort of drop him in there, but I like it because he used to want to be the Fire Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just as, as stuff for like the whole, you know, plot of the comics moving forward. I like the setup of, at the beginning, there's a meeting for the government in Yudao, and it's sort of established that Aang wants to use it as a prototype for all the other colonies that are like it. Um, and also, Azula is escaped. Um, and those are two things that sort of set up anything else going on. Um, I like, I like, I like the moment of Aang and Katara being confronted about marriage. I like that. Right. That's, you know, nice and goofy, but also like fairly wholesome. <laughs> yeah. I like little things like that. And I, I think it's yeah. setting up. Which like, you know, wouldn't make sense if they were like a real couple at that age. But like, you know, given that we know what we know about them, like that works. They're a fantasy couple. They travel on, they, they go right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that. I like Azula a lot in this book. Um, and I, I like the things that are set up. And then in the next few trilogies, um, I don't know, we'll, you'll see what happens to Azula. And I'm interested to talk about that. But I like I like the way our mm-hmm. characters are going. I like the moment where Zuko is like, maybe I shouldn't, you know, find my mom. Or maybe I should leave my mom alone, sort of. Um, I think that's really nice um, because it... Yeah. I don't know. I like the way that this does bring Zuko peace um, sort of coming off of the promise uh, where he was sort of in turmoil um, and I, I I also like that it's still sort of lingering that he's like very much I, I, I like the idea in this book that Zuko like doesn't want to be the fire lord exactly like in part mm-hmm. of like he's just like I really want to like be around Aang and go on adventures and Azula's like you just want to be with Aang and go on adventures. And he's like, what? No. <laughs> I like that. There's like that kid in him because he's, you know, he's a teenager. Like, yeah, it makes sense. And, like, and also he was, he was someone who was like explicitly denied like a real childhood. Yeah. I, I, I like that. He's still sort of dealing with the problem set up in the promise. And I like the way that they sort of go through it and then they calm it down when he does, you know, find his family. And like, you can see him sort of accept his role, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really love how, like, the character threads are, like, coming through, uh, like, these individual series is. <laughs> yeah, I think they do a really, really good job of that. Um, even even the stuff with Katara in this book, Katara and Sokka, um, I think is, not, I don't want to call it, like, setup, but, like, I think it does go somewhere, sort of. Um, I am interested in that, like, Katara seems to have been, like, consistently kind of underserved in both of these. You mean, like, not a main character? Yeah, like she, you know, is largely a, a secondary person. Yeah, I, that does happen a little bit. Um, I don't know. Like, there is one trilogy that she sort of is the focus, is the main character, and I think that's that's sort of a lot, you know. I, okay. Um, she does have a secondary role, and sometimes I, I don't, how do you feel about her being the girlfriend and sort of becoming the secondary role because of that, in a way. Um, I'm a, I'm a little frustrated with it, just in that, like, she doesn't really have anything to do in this, beyond just sort of act as, like, a second Aang in some scenes. Yeah, um, I don't know, I think that as they go on, you can see sort of, like, I mean, in the last, in the last trilogy we were talking about it, like, 
yes, she is just being supportive and just like a second egg, but like she is coming from her own like place and it makes sense that sort of the things they're dealing with are, are kind of similar. Like yeah. in the rest of these, there's a lot of like, oh, the world's changing and Aang's upset. And like, you can see how Katara is really upset about that too. Um, so- okay. I, th- I think that worked better for me in uh, in The Promise than it does here. Yeah. Uh, just because we see really more a- first perspective. Yeah, this is a Zuko Azula story, really. I mean, yeah. even I wouldn't say Aang has that much to do, really. Like, I don't think Aang you know, goes through much. He's just sort of like being Aang. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I just think it's it's more noticeable since. Yeah, and yeah. it's not like I don't know. I feel like Katara gets her sort of moment in like being the the sibling dynamic with Sokka. Like, there's something for her to do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sometimes I do worry about sort of Katara having a secondary role, but I think it makes sense, and I think she does get some focus later. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You wanna you wanna move on? Shall we? Let's. Okay. Nick, we're back as we as we are every week uh, to discuss something extremely important. Yeah. So as you know, uh, I I am not the world's number one fan of uh, the holiday of Christmas. What? Uh, but you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> Everybody loves Christmas. <laughs> well, as mentioned earlier in this podcast, I am Jewish. <laughs> so what? You just don't like you just see other people having fun and you're angry? What's wrong with you? That's just a little bit of it. <laughs> okay. But my my primary point is that we're here to discuss the best Christmas music. Uh given that it is snowing outside, uh, and that means that Joe, I, and it's after Halloween. Joe, so. I can't do this. You can't do this? No, I don't believe in Christmas music before, after Thanksgiving. See, I'm, I'm inclined to agree, but I, I, I just think that, like, you know, we, we need to get it out of the way. <laughs> Joe, I can't, I can't do it. It's against my religion. Okay. It's, it's not against mine. All right, let's do it. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> what, what's, what's your contender here? My favorite Christmas song? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I, I like the one that they do in Mean Girls, with with the dance from Mean Girls. I like that. <laughs> um, I, I think that's valid. I like that. There's a, I like the one that's in Home Alone, and it's like White Christmas, but like with the, the deep voice, and he puts the shaving cream on. I like that. Um, uh, there's, there's some other ones I like, but I can't remember now, because it's not Christmas time. Um I'm a big fan of Baby Please Come Home. Oh, I oh I like the I like the the Baby is Cold Outside. I really like that song. That song's great, <laughs> huh? What did you say? I wasn't listening to you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Baby Please Come Home. I don't know that one. It's a it's a good one. How's it go? You're not making me sing on this podcast. Ah, crap! <laughs> I was just, you did it a little. <laughs> Are you going to cut it out? I did. I'm editing it out. Ah, don't do that. <laughs> I tricked you, though. Um, no, I like I like the, the the duet one. It's cold outside. I think that one's great. I think it's funny. I, I, I like it. I also like the one that goes, do, 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 And there's lots of words that are too, too fast to hear. Gotcha. There's lots of good ones. 
Yeah. I don't agree with talking about this. It's too early. Yeah, well, see, now that we've done it, we can't do it later. <sighs> okay. Wait, so, wait. We'll have to, wait, wait, you know, wait, come up wait, with something wait, better. Wait a moment. For... Do you listen to Christmas music? Mm, I do. Wait, I mean, what emotion? No, what's your situation when you're listening to Christmas music? Okay, so 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 look, I I, I, I owe you an ex- an explanation clearly, mm-hmm. uh, and that is that I I, I, I live in a, a complicated uh, multi ethnic society, and you know the people around me celebrate Christmas, and I do not. Uh, so despite the fact that you know, I personally uh, am not a big fan of the holiday. Uh, I do. Yeah, I do have a lot. I'm not of... a fan of it. It's just because, you can't. Because I feel it. left out, Nicholas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, I'm I'm playing this up for a bit. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, I I I appreciate the sentimentality of a lot of Christmas music, even if I I, I don't always agree with the the messaging. Jesus Christ. The message is Christmas is great. What's wrong with you? The message you shouldn't agree with is the one where, where Santa hooks up with someone's mom, right? Oh, Jesus, yeah. Shall, we, shall, shall I quote us for this week? Quote us and, and close us? Please do. Okay, the quote this week is, is, is a classic. Classic quote. It's a philosophy quote. I don't know who said it. I don't care either. Um, and it goes like this. I think, therefore, I am. That was Descartes. That was who? That was Rene Descartes. Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) No, that's correct. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and Nick Bobbis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at joeb underscore draws. You can read my webcomic Aeronaut at joebdraws.com. As always, Nick has nothing to promote. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It would really help out the show. Mm